Hey, this is Sam for Dobbs. If you need tires, hop on our website, go to Dobbs.com. We'll save you time searching brands, sizes, and prices, and save you money because we sell tires at the lowest price in town, guaranteed. For deals you can use, click on go to Dobbs.com now. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This is a Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. A fresh perspective on the day's biggest stories. It's Character and Smallman's Fresh Day. Powered by Schnucks. Eat good to feel great at Schnucks on 101 ESPN. All right, a lot of reaction to Seinfeld episodes. Yes. And we're going to get Michelle to watch a few. The Boyfriend, that's the one with Keith Hernandez. Oh, okay. That's a great one. Also, the uh, marine biologist, you'll, you'll love that. It's great. And then George Costanza goes to work for the Yankees uh, is a good one. So there are, and the contest is the one that's master of your domain. So there's, uh, and Soup Nazi. Somebody brings up Soup Nazi. So I'll give you a list of a half dozen here for you to watch. And okay. You can, if you like the first one, then you'll, you'll love it forever. Two questions. One, do I need to watch any sort of background episode, like the first Nothing. episode to get any sort of background? Okay. No. And then number two, where do I watch this? Can I stream it somewhere? Yeah, you'll be able to stream okay. it. Okay. So that'll be no problem. You have seen Curb Your Enthusiasm? Yes, love Curb. So Larry David was the inspiration behind uh, a lot of... Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld did it together. So it's very funny. And they actually did... The finale for Seinfeld was terrible. So on Curb Your Enthusiasm, they did another one that was a lot better. Oh, okay. Um, Good to know. Yeah. We are going to do a book club. And we've got a poll up right now at Michelle's Twitter page. And how's it going right now? Um, Yes, you can make your voice heard. There's an hour. There's 57 minutes left in the poll. So if you would like to participate in the Character and Smallman Baseball Book Club, please go to M. Smallman and cast your vote. Right now, Three Nights in August is leading the way with 47.8% of the votes. And as might seem natural, yesterday when (laughs) we got started with this, Michelle put up the poll and put hashtag BBC and immediately got response. You know, I, I did get a lot of response, Randy. Uh, when I hashtag BBC, I was thinking baseball book club. Just something easy for people if they wanted to click the hashtag. They could read all of our tweets and follow along as we read the book. I was not aware <laughs> that BBC, the hashtag BBC, was also not about British news. That it will lead you to threads that are not safe for work. And I was I had to then delete it, repost it. I tweeted, today I learned not to hashtag BBC. And I had to inform my boss, hey, if you get any sort of alerts on my work computer, it's because I I not only hashtagged and directed our listeners to the hashtag BBC, but I clicked on it on my work computer. So heads up, if you uh if you if you know what it means, you know not not to do it, especially on your work computer. But we need to come up with a new hashtag for the baseball book club because BBC it's not it's not what we need to do, Randy. And I don't know if BBBC is. I, I haven't checked. I don't know if it's any better or worse. But 
that particular hashtag BBC kind of took over your day yesterday. It did. I uh, I got a lot of response on Twitter, and my phone was very active all day of people being like, "Oh, Michelle, girl, <laughs> what are you doing?" No, Michael Luke Jr. was like, "Small men." No, I was like, I, "It was early BBC Baseball Book Club." I just I was tweeting during the show. I wasn't thinking, so uh, I learned a valuable lesson yesterday, Randy, <laughs> and I hopefully provided a lot of our listeners with some laughs. But just know, it definitely was unintentional. It was not meant to be uh, to send you to those images. <laughs> and you can go to at M. Smallman on Twitter and on the Insta. And I'm at Randy Carricker on Twitter and at RJ Carricker on Instagram. And you can vote at Michelle's page. And because I'm tagged, you can find it at, uh, at Randy Carricker too. But we would like to have you vote. And we're going to start our book club here. And uh, the first one's going to be Buzz. It looks like the way things mm-hmm. are headed. Buzz Bissinger's Three Nights in August, which is a great book. But I I'm excited about rereading it. I haven't re- read it since it came out, like in 2005. So I'm looking forward to it. We need to figure out the the tent poles here, how we're going to structure it. But we need to put it all together. We can put it on 101ESPN.com, and and we'll talk about it on the air, and people can follow along on social media and online too. Looking forward to that. Last night, Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred told both ESPN and MLB Network that unequivocally there will be baseball in 2020, whether it's a negotiated deal, which is his preference, or a deal in which he implements a schedule and he says 48 games probably isn't the number probably more than 48 games but whether they negotiate one or he implements a schedule we are going to play baseball health permitting in 2020 Mm -hmm. health permitting is a big issue now michelle and Woj reports at espn.com that a faction of nba players holding conference calls are discussing the uncertainty about restarting the season in orlando And the NBA Players Association has agreed on a plan that would allow players to stay home without consequences if they're concerned about COVID-19. I was concerned about this because when we... When the pandemic first happened, that's what we were hearing, right? Players do not want to leave their families. Players are concerned about what will happen if they're all essentially isolated together. Because especially in the NBA, we saw with Rudy Gobert how quickly this virus can travel and and how quickly you can get it if your teammate has it. So to hear that everybody was on the same page and everybody was uh, down with going to Orlando, I thought was positive. But then I thought to myself, I'm kind of surprised that more players aren't reluctant to leave their families and are reluctant to be put in this environment even though there's going to be so many safety measures put into place there's going to be daily testing it's human nature to feel uncertain and nervous about about this when so much of this virus is uncertain so uh it doesn't surprise me to hear that people are expressing their concerns but i think more than not players are going to want to go and participate i would think so and I'm with you on the testing because not only is this testing, but it's state-of-the-art testing. And there is very little doubt about the NBA's ability to implement it properly. And if you have that knowledge, you have two pieces of knowledge. Number one, that everybody is being tested. And the second one is, is that if you are an athlete in his prime, essentially, unless some extraordinary odds occur... You're going to be fine. Young people are generally surviving COVID-19. The percentage of people that pass away that are between 20 and 40 from uh, COVID-19, the percentage is infinitesimal. So I think those players 
I understand fear, right? But I, I think those players in general would be in pretty good shape. I think so too. And I, I did wonder how the passing of Carl Anthony Towns' mom would impact the way players are looking at this because it's. It's a different experience when it happens to someone you know and when there's a loss with someone that you know. And so even though, like you said, for younger people, it's generally not as big of a concern to look at Carl Anthony Towns, one of their fellow NBA players, and say this affected him directly. This is something that that can take someone's life would, at least for me, if I was in that situation, give me pause. I wonder if that's a conference call. And by the way, there was were multiple conference calls among players over the course of 24 hours. I wonder if that is a, a call or a discussion that has been that has taken place among MLB players. You get on a conference call with uh, Blake Snell, and he says, "Man, if I get the Rona, I'm going to have it for the rest bro, of my life." Bro, bro, yeah, bro, bro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if, if you're talking about Blake Snell, you you have to start with bro. Bro, if bro. I get the Rona, yeah, from Seattle, by the way, uh, suburban Seattle, uh, you know, a rather affluent school. But bro, if I get the Rona. Now. I just wonder if that one has popped up on that Zoom call or co- conference call that uh, they've had. I think that they're just concerned about getting their money. Seems like it. Mm-hmm. And I I don't begrudge them Me that. Me either. That's, of course not. If you sign a contract and you think you deserve that money, then you should go for it. Especially if you think you can get it out of the owners. But don't take the baseball away from me. It's all about me. You know, here's the, here's where what it all boils down to. Just like I don't begrudge you for wanting all your money. You can't begrudge the fans for being selfish and wanting you to take less so that we can see the product that we want on the field. You are 100% correct. That's your fresh take here on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we're going to head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, and we're going to go to the Blues booth with our buddy Bernie Federko on 101 ESPN. This is Carriker and Smallman. We're talking everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Blues booth. The Blues booth is brought to you by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. When it's time for new flooring in your home, Real Wood provides the best long-term value. Boardwalk has great floors for every home. Visit our three area showrooms and online at BoardwalkHardwood.com. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, Carricker and Smallman on your Home of the Blues, 101 ESPN. And tomorrow is the one-year anniversary of the Blues winning their first ever Stanley Cup. And one of the players that put an awful lot, literally, of blood, sweat, and tears on the ice of the old arena is the Hall of Famer, Bernie Federico, who joins us now on 101 ESPN in our Blues booth. Bernie, it's always great to have you with us. How are you doing? Good morning. I'm doing fine. Thanks, Randy. Bernie, can you believe it's been almost a year since the Blues hoisted the cup? Doesn't it feel like 10 years ago? Well, it sure does, Michelle. The way these last few months, too, have gone, it's been kind of tough on everybody not being able to watch any sports, not getting back to watch hockey. But, yeah, it's, it's, it seems like it's been forever. But uh, it's been a nice, really, memory uh, all these months of uh, thinking about how long it took and how much fun it is to know that uh, the cup is still really in the possession of the St. Louis Blues right now. Absolutely. And Bernie, thinking back to that Game 7, at what point in that game did you allow yourself mentally to say the Blues are going to win the Stanley Cup? Uh, when Braden Shen scored the goal to make it 3 nothing. I mean, that that was, uh, you know, we were sitting up there watching the game uh, in Boston, and we just said that the third goal is going to be the big goal. It was 2 to nothing for the Blues, you know, through into the third period. And I think we all sat there and said, okay, if Boston gets the goal, all of a sudden now this is a different game. The momentum is going to really 
uh, come on the home team and this and that. And uh, we just kept saying, just Blues got to get the next goal, play tight and get the next one. And when uh, it made it 3 nothing, I think that's when we first got our first deep breath. And, um, you know, the rest is history. So that, that was the, the, the big goal, really, of the game. Bernie, one of the things that you wrote about in your book is that if you're a good player, a young player in Canada, people are going to come out to see you play. And for most of these players, they were really good players in juniors or or even younger than that. So I would imagine it's been a really long time since these guys played competitive games where there weren't people in the stands. You know what? Yeah, that's a really good point, Randy. Like, I don't know. I mean, you have to find, I guess, ways to motivate yourself. But, I mean, I think you grow up as a kid, you're playing on ponds or you're playing out in, you know, rink that if you go there at 6 o'clock in the morning or whatever it is, you're trying to hone your skills. And, uh, yeah, there's not a lot of people watching. But, yeah, as you progress, uh, when you come, if you're a good player, as you just mentioned, uh, everybody seems to be watching all the time. And then, obviously, you start playing junior college. There's lots of people in the stands. You turn pro. There's more people in the stands, so it's going to be a little different for the uh, players. I mean, I, I really don't know um, how that could be handled, but I still think that, uh, you know, with the modern um, things that, are, you know, all the technology that they have now, that uh, I'm not so surprised that uh, even if we have a empty building, that um, with the speakers and with things they could do with props and stuff, I think they could probably make it sound like there's going to be an awful lot of people in the stands that they, they could make it look like to, to the players that there's people in the stands and um, maybe the guys are just going to have to find ways to, to, to use the momentum off each other. And, and really, to be honest with you, when you're playing against somebody else in competition, if you're playing uh, for somebody, when I mean, you get on the golf course, you're playing for a beer. I think you try a lot harder if you're not playing for anything. And I think these guys are playing for the cup. I think they'll plenty to play for. That's a, a great point. The inherent competitiveness of the players will come to the fore. But I do want to ask you, because when you get to the last five minutes of a game and you guys are spent uh, physically, uh, how much of a factor does the home crowd play? When you're playing, whether it was at the arena or Enterprise Center, and you have that energy behind you and the other team doesn't, how, how much of a factor does that play? Well, it's a comfort factor. I mean, I think that you really believe in yourselves a lot more at home. I mean, I, I think that even though when you look at how successful the road teams have been over the course of the last few years, it's still, I think, to be at home, I think uh, the comfort level is almost, always better. You know that uh, you've got those extra people that are, are behind you. You know that if something happens for the good, that everybody's going to explode. And I think that really has an effect on the on the visiting team because obviously – um, you know, the momentum changes and all of a sudden it's pandemonium in the building. So I think that could be a factor. But obviously with this now uh, playing in a neutral site, as they're talking about it, I mean, that's not going to be there. So I think that t- this does take away somewhat from the home team. But, I mean, if you look at what happened even against, the, you know, with the Blues Bruins last year, I mean, the, what the Blues won three games in Boston, Blues or the Boston won two here in St. Louis. So uh, there's I mean a lot of changes with that right now and and uh, I, i'm just anxious to, to get the game going but i, I i'm anxious to see how the players are going to handle playing you know just in, in front of no fans at all i know we talk about the fact that they're going to have to adjust without fans in the stands bernie but part of me wonders if it might not be that big of a deal for a lot of players because there probably will be some sort of crowd noise or something to distract them but I think sometimes when you talk to players, they talk about how in the moment it's all kind of white noise anyway, that they're just focused on the game at hand. So I don't wonder if players, like you said, if even if you're golfing for a beer, you get locked into the competition. If we're making such a big deal about it because it's going to be so different from a fan's perspective, but once the players get on the ice, they might be able to adapt to that rather quickly. 
Yeah, I think they will, Michelle, because they they understand what, what what's at stake. And and when you know what's at stake, I mean, the guy across from you, you're, you're trying to beat him. You're not worried about uh, you know doing anything else. You're not worried about what's what's in the stands or who's cheering for you, who's not cheering for you. But I mean, I've said that all along. I mean. Um, you know, people have been to games in Vegas. I mean, the atmosphere in Vegas um, is, is unbelievable. And if, if that is going to be where maybe one of the sites are, I mean, I think they're pretty capable with what they can do. Is it'll it'll sound, you know, with the you know the organ with the the, the speakers, they could actually you know put booing in there. You know, if, if you've got a home team of call from the referee, uh, I think that they can make it sound like what would happen. Uh, they can you know. Um, just take some tapes from some some regular games and find out how the booing is when when the whole team gets penalty called against them. And I think they can kind of move that into the into the game uh, structure, and and I think it'll make like uh, it, it, there's a twenty thousand people in the building. All right, we've got a, a cold Budweiser on the line at the nineteenth hole, and it's Fox Sports Midwest colleagues. Bernie Federko, John Kelly, and Darren Pang. Who is the one that gets the free Budweiser at the end? Uh, we're talking in a golf game. Yes, chances are it's going to be Panger, unless unless he's giving us plenty of shot. <laughs> Panger's by far. I mean, Panger's almost scratched. So, uh, depending on how uh, he's pretty consistent with his game, uh, John and I are pretty inconsistent. So, uh, I, I would have to. I would go with Panger. If you're a betting man, go with Panger. Bernie, always good to hear from you. Thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it, and we'll talk to you next week. Randy and Michelle, you guys have a great day. You too. See you. That is our friend Bernie Federko here on 101 ESPN. Bernie's pretty darn good, too. I was going to say, I think he's, well, I, Panger, I'm sure, is great, but Bernie can probably hold his own, well, right? Well, and <laughs> Panger's interesting because, and Grant Fuhr is great, too. I don't know why goalies are so good at golf, but the hockey shot really does copy the, the golf swing, mm-hmm. the, the way that you have to shift your weight and... Al McKinnis can hit the ball a mile. Brett Hall hits the ball a mile. And hockey players in general, especially because they don't, aren't playing hockey during the summer, they wind up being pretty good golfers. I'm sure. And I'm not surprised goalies are great golfers because golf is so much of a mental game. So, yep. you, I mean, if you're a goalie, you learn how to sharpen your men, your mental uh, toughness and your, you can focus on a puck coming at you at a million miles an hour. So you can definitely focus on th- what you need to do to swing and hit the ball. It, it is such a mental game. Yeah. That's why I'm so bad because I'm just such a mental midget. You know, Randy, I've been trying to meditate. I cannot meditate. I can't get out of my own head. Once I'm, you know, even if I'm listening to the guided meditations, I just start thinking about all the things that I need to do. Same thing with golf. Even halfway through my swing, I'll be like, oh, shoot. Yep. I forgot to you know, call the doctor back or whatever it is, you know. I just can't get out of my own head, so that's why I'm bad at golf, too. Coming up with Michelle and Randy, it's the fight on 101 ESPN. Think you can beat down character? We sure hope you can. The Fight with character, brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs on 101 ESPN. Welcome back to Carriker and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. It's 8.30 on the dot, which means it's time for the fight. Colin, what are we fighting for today? We are fighting for a gift card to Surf and Sirloin in De Pere, home of prime USDA hand-cut steaks and fresh seafood. Surf and Sirloin is now open for indoor dining. Visit surfandsirloin.com to check out the menu. Sounds delicious. All right, our challenger today is Derek. Good morning, Derek. How are you doing today? Good morning, Michelle. Fine. How are you? I am well. Thank you very much. Are you ready to go? 
as ready as I'm going to be. <laughs> right. That, that, I think that's the answer for everybody. But okay, Derek, question number one. Today would have been Vince Lombardi's 107th birthday. Which team did Lombardi finish his NFL coaching career with? Was it the New York Giants, the Washington Redskins, or the Miami Dolphins? Washington Redskins. Question number two. Happy 38th birthday to one of the greatest women's basketball players of all time, Diana Taurasi. Which team has Taurasi played her entire WNBA career with? Is it the L.A. Sparks, the Phoenix Mercury, or the Minnesota Lynx? I wish I'd have paid more attention to the WNBA now. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm going to go with L.A. Question number three, happy 64th birthday to Joe Montana. Two birthday shout-outs today, Vince Lombardi. Vince Lombardi and Joe Montana, same birthday. Yeah, how about that? Um, how about that? All right, well, two what... <laughs> two greats. What number did Joe Montana wear in the final two seasons of his career while playing for the Kansas City Chiefs? Was it 3, 16, or 19? 19. And question number four, happy 32nd birthday to utility player Brock Holt. Which NL Central team did Holt sign with this offseason? Was it the Pirates, the Reds, or the Brewers? Pirates. All right, Derek. I mean, I guess we're just giving birthday shout-outs to everybody today. What's up? Uh, June 11th, birthday shout-out day <laughs> here on Carriker and Smallman. All right, Randy is coming in. Removing his mask. Randy, say good morning and hello to your challenger today. It is Derek. Hey, Derek. Great to have you with us. Thanks so much for taking some time. How are you doing today? Fine, Randy. Thank you for uh, letting me play. Oh, we're thrilled to have you as a listener and as a participant today. Randy. I'm ready. Heads up. A lot of birthday shout-outs today. Oh, good. Happy birthday on uh, June 11th. Yes. Uh, first birthday shout-out. Today would have been Vince Lombardi's 107th birthday. Which team did Vince Lombardi finish his NFL coaching career with? So he's not coaching anymore. He's not going to come back. No, no. Can't confirm. Uh, hail to the Redskins. Hail victory. Washington Redskins. Question number two, Randy. Happy 38th birthday to one of the greatest women's basketball players of all time, Diana Taurasi. Which team has Taurasi played her entire WNBA career with? I know this because every year uh, when my son and I go down to spring training in Arizona, we go to a Phoenix Suns game and you look up in the rafters and there is Diana Taurasi's banner in the rafters. It's the Phoenix Mercury with a LifeLock logo on the front of their jerseys. Love that. Yeah. Shout out to Diana. Uh, Brandy, it's also Joe Montana's 64th birthday today. Wow. What number did Joe Montana wear in the final two seasons of his career while playing for the Kansas City Chiefs? His number 16 from San Francisco was retired because of Len Dawson, so he just flipped that six over and wore 19. Now time for the most famous birthday on this date. Happy 32nd birthday to utility player Brock Holt, Randy. Mm. Which NL Central team did Holt sign with this offseason? <laughs> Another shout-out to spring training in Arizona. <laughs> he was going to be a teammate with Jed Jerko on the Brewers. I saw both of them play a game down in Arizona this spring in spring training 1.0. We've got a winner. Go crazy, champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. 
Sorry, Derek. Randy beat you four to two. Let's run through our birthday answers today. So Vince Lombardi, 107th birthday. He finished his NFL coaching career with the Washington Redskins. He only spent one season in D.C., 1969. Made him a lot better. He's a good coach. Yes. They they named a trophy after him. Yeah, they did. They did. Uh, It's Diana Taurasi's 38th birthday, and she played her entire WNBA career with the Phoenix Mercury. She was their number one overall pick in 2004 and a three-time WNBA champion. Awesome. Shout out to Diana. Uh, Again, Joe Montana's birthday. He's 64 today, and he wore number 19 for the final two seasons of his career with the Chiefs. He played for the Chiefs in 93 and 94. And our final birthday is utility player Brock Holt, who signed a one-year deal with the Milwaukee Brewers in February. Derek, thank you so much for playing. Thank you. That is Derek on 101 ESPN. Michelle and Randy with you. And I'll tell you what we're going to do is uh, we're going to... Get to Mark McGuire. We've got Long Gone Summer coming up uh, on Sunday night on ESPN, and we've got an opportunity to visit with the big guy. So he will join us next as we roll on with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Now it's time for Long Gone Summer on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Tracy Bibb and Allstate Insurance. Text QUOTE to 65780 to see how you can save. To Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Randy Character, Michelle Smallman with you. And it is a pleasure to go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line and welcome former Cardinal Slugger, world champion hitting coach, uh, Cardinal Hall of Famer Mark McGuire with the big documentary coming out on Sunday night. We wanted to get in touch with Big Mac. Good to have you with us. How are you? Thank you very much for having me. I'm doing great. Good. I'm doing really good. It's That's great to hear. And uh, last time I had a chance to see you, I think, was when you came in for the Hall of Fame a few years ago. And it's great to see you, and it'll be great to see you on Sunday night back in the Cardinal Red. How excited are you <laughs> yeah. about seeing the, the documentary on Sunday? Yeah, uh, yeah, it brings back a lot of great memories, of course. I mean, it's just... Uh, and in light what's going on with the the baseball world right now, trying to work things out and... You know, you know, for uh, what happened that year to <clears throat> to bring the fans back after the '94 strike, um, just to electrify St. Louis and in the baseball world, it was. Uh, I got a chance to see the rough cut of it um, just before the pandemic. Um, AJ uh, showed me it, and um, it was really it was emotional. Um, I'm sure he's uh, he's crossed a few more T's and dotted a few more I's to uh, finish up the project, but um, it was it, it was really cool. You know, it's been it's not like I sit and look at videos and do uh, read articles about that. You know, twenty some odd years ago, and so I found myself uh, getting caught up in the moment. So cool. It should be really really good for the fans of baseball, and especially the fans in St. Louis, to reminisce from twenty some odd years ago. So, Mark, you participated in the interviews. You said you've watched the rough cuts and you got caught up in the moment. What sort of emotions were you feeling as you watched it unfold in, in the rough cut? Well, it's uh, it's more or less, you know, I mean, think about it. So, <clears throat> in 1987, when I was a rookie, and um, and I, I had 33 home runs at the All-Star break, they tabbed me at that year. They tabbed me the guy. I was the guy that was going to break Roger Maris's record. Um, fast forward um, 11 years later, 
um, and it happened. Um, you know, uh, just putting myself back in that batter's box, seeing the video, understanding what was going through my mind, um, understanding how how difficult it was to um, to constantly just keep talking to myself and my psychology of of just the uh, the mindset that I had to be in. You know, that's where uh, I think that's where it separated uh, myself from from Sammy as far as finishing up on top. I mean, I could not allow him to, you know, he, he tied it. He came in and got it, and then he, he could have finished the season with the record. And I just mentally and physically could not allow that to happen. So I had to go to another space in my mind. And it's a space where I know a lot of people um, – a lot of people that play sports have never reached it. Um, it is possible. Um, there's there's a few athletes that can get there, specifically Michael Jordan and Kobe and Tiger Woods, to say a few of them. Um, it's just a it's a mindset where you you just don't know what's going on around you. Um, you, you it's just like you're floating, um, but you totally understand what your body's trying to do. Um, and it was a lot of hard work. Um, I got to that position just by failure, basically. You know, the years that I had in Oakland <clears throat> that weren't very good and going through a lot of uh, injuries, you know, I had to really deep uh, dig deep down inside to really understand who I was as a person and how strong I could get mentally. Um, and it just it just fell into place. And um I, I, I mean, I, that's where, that's where the, the, the emotions come out because, you know, when you, it's just, it's, when you put yourself in that position, you know how difficult it was. Uh, and it might seem easy when somebody's aware watching it, <clears throat> and especially when the media was asking me <laughs> on a daily basis, why didn't you hit a home run? Because it looked so easy. Um, but it wasn't. Um, and this, the outside, distractions of every day at the ballpark with the 50, 75, and possibly hundreds of media on a given day to constantly ask you the same question time and time again. Um, it was it was difficult as far as trying to take care of that, but when I got on the field, I was in my sanctuary, and um, and believe me, it's uh, that's where, again, that's where the emotions came out because it's not like I sit and watch that stuff on a daily basis and and when i saw some videos and and trust me it's it was it's it's when you go back that far you know hd didn't really exist you know so it's <laughs> the video is a little bit of fuzzy um so yeah it was it's really good i hope everybody enjoys it um and it's uh especially where we are today with trying to try to get the game of baseball back on the field um it's uh hopefully it puts a lot of smiles and and um, you know a lot of a lot of kids that were kids back then and are now grown ups uh, bring them back to that spot. Mark, as you're recounting this, all I can think of is the pressure that surrounds that moment. People tab you to break this record before the season starts. You talk about the media that you have to deal with before and after yeah. every game. People are there during batting practice waiting to see something spectacular. Yeah. <laughs> then you get on the field knowing that Sammy may have hit a home run and you're tasked with right. giving everyone a show. And you talk about going to this place mentally that you had to be at to be able to execute this. But did you feel that pressure? And if you did 
it and how were you able to block that out? Take us into your mind on how you would approach every game. Yeah, 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 you know, it's, uh, I mean, I did a lot of meditation. Um, I, I was known for going into the, <laughs> the doctors at a private room with a, with a table and I would, I would go into that room and, and I would take my 15 to 20 minute, uh, meditation nap, if you want to call it. And, um, I was so into visualization because I trusted my eyes so much. And the thing is, is when you, when, you know, you know, baseball is a visual thing. Yes, it's it takes the physical ability to do it, but you have the eye set to do it. And and when you can visually and mentally prepare yourself, <clears throat> the physical stuff just sort of falls into place. And so that's where the thing is. Is I, I when I would take these uh, so-called meditation naps, I was visualizing what I was going to try to do. I was putting myself in that position before that before the time even existed. Um, and it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a tough task to do, and it, and it takes time to do that. And that's where, that's where a lot of athletes don't want to do it. They, 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 they don't want to spend the time. I, I didn't know I could do it. Um, and it just, and I started doing it, and, and, I, and I saw where I could get to. And it's, it's, a, it's a space where it's like, um, I don't know if anybody out there knows where it's like where you're actually floating and but you're physically walking and it's um it's it's a scary feeling but it's a space where it's just like man this is this is a is a great spot and and you don't hear any noise and it's so quiet um and peaceful <laughs> to tell you the truth but but on the outside it's just like it's you know people are just uh, you know, like you said, like the batting practice, um, you know, I had to play a game before the game because the batting practice, you know, they started allowing the fans to come in two hours before the game and there would be 25 or 30,000 fans watching batting practice, you know, um, and then I had to, you know, reset myself and go back and, and, and do my things that I needed to do. Um, you know, and then there's the stuff, you know, away from the ballpark that I would do the meditations and the, to get away from what you call the distractions. Um, you know, um, just the, uh, the amount of the attention going places and, um, you know, the autographs, the, the media, um, today doing it today. I, Knowing what I went through back then, twenty some odd years ago, trying to do something like that at that level today—oh my goodness gracious! <laughs> I, I don't know. It's just like it's just that that, that you'd, uh, you'd have to be somewhere else. I mean, I'd have to find another deeper part of my mind to go to, and I know it's there. Um, so I, it's it's like it's. Uh, I hope that answers your question, Michelle, because it's like it's um, it's sort of tough to like really sit down and like. I can only feel it, but I can I can definitely tell you that you can get there, and uh, you just have to allow yourself to get there. That's the thing; you have to allow yourself to to get to that space. Mark McGuire is with us on 101 ESPN, the documentary, the 3430 Long Gone Summer, coming up Sunday night on ESPN TV. And Mark, I always tell people that my favorite opening day, and I love everything about Cardinal opening day, but my favorite one was 1998. You hit the Grand Slam off of Ramon Martinez, and it was such a glorious day, too. Does that one stick in your mind's eye? 
Well, yeah, well, yeah, to against the hometown team, the Dodgers, too. Yeah, <laughs> you know, right. Of all, of, yeah, so, um, yeah, I mean, I just, re- I mean, I mean, just to go back prior to that, the, you know, the, the, yeah, I know I did a photo shoot with Sports Illustrated, you know, for the baseball preview issue. And it was, they were, they were tabbing it like, this is the year, you know? So going into spring training, it was like, this is the year it's going to be broken. Like, like, really? You know, nobody knows that anything's going to happen within six months. It's like, <laughs> if we did, we, we'd all be really successful, right? So it's just like, you know, doing this photo shoot, realizing, okay, I'm going into spring training, man, I got to start, you know, I, I got to start digging deep right now, you know, way before the season starts. And, um, you know, then going to spring training and having nice spring training. And then that opening day, of course, uh, St. Louis's opening day is the best opening day in all of baseball. It's hands down the best opening day, though. To, to bring back all the, the Hall of Famers and the old timers, and it's just everybody in red. It's just the sea of red. It's just it's just such a great feeling, and to and to tap it off with a grand slam to start it off, and and then here we go. And um, six months, it's like uh, wow, yeah, it was good. So, Mark, everyone said this is the season that the record will be broken. Everyone pointed to you as the guy to do it. But then comes along Sammy Sosa. When did yeah. you first notice that Sammy <laughs> was going to be your true opponent in this home run race? And did having a true opponent, somebody that you knew every night was chasing you and or somebody that could break it potentially before you fuel your fire to get this done? Yeah, well, to tell you the truth, and and, and I even I mentioned this in the, in the documentary, it's like I... I mean, to be honest with you, I didn't really know who Sammy was. I know he played in the major leagues, but, you know, I know he was a nice player, but it's just, it, it, Sammy's name wasn't even in the conversation. It, it was, it was, a, it was always me and Ken Griffey back and forth. It was me and Ken Griffey uh, for years. And, um, and I thought if there was anybody, it was going to be Ken Griffey. And he was there for a while. Um, but it wasn't until June um, where Sandy, the Sammy just went off. I mean, he did. Uh, the record breaking 20 home runs in a month. I mean, that's ridiculous. And I was like, wow, okay, this is, this is crazy. Um, and, and I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm really glad he really was there because it, it to be pushed like that and to, to set yourself into another position and, and yeah, uh, in your mind and really just really, Checking yourself every night and just saying to yourself, "This is I'm not allowing this to happen." Um, it's it's like it sets you it sets you apart. And uh, I'm telling you, I, I, it's funny because Tony, I was telling Tony the last weekend against Montreal, I, I was like, "Tony, I'm done, man. I'm 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 done." He's like, "Mark, we got to push it, man." And uh, there we go, you know. I, and I remember being on that field on uh, was it yeah Friday night and. And I remember the fans hearing the, hearing the fans go, oh, and he's in, you know, he's in, he's in, he's in Houston. He hit the home run and he, he went ahead and I was like, wow. And I think it was like an inning later, you know, I tied him. Um, and then I ended up hitting two on Saturday and two on Sunday. And, uh, I, I just, I couldn't, I, I, it's just like, it was really amazing to, just to really to to come on top, just to do it. Period. To to break Rogers uh, Maris's record, uh, to have all the things that happened on that the, that week 
of uh, 60, 61, 62, um, you know, that the, 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 the universe was lined up correctly and perfectly. And, um, yeah, I was just, uh, man, <laughs> I mean, I just get emotional thinking about it now. So. And, and along those lines, Mark, with the emotion, it was so cool for us as fans to have Matt there. That must have been so special for you to have your son be there at an age where he knew what was going on and to have him be down on the field with you. That was, you talk about emotional. That was awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was, that was great. You know, it's, yeah, again, it was like, um, that was a special moment. Obviously, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, my ex-wife, Kathy, and her husband, Tom, were fantastic. And, you know, they were they were there in attendance. And, um, you know, so, yeah, it was great. I mean, I, it, it's just like there, there's nothing planned. And it, it just happened. And he ends up running there, uh, you know, home plate. And we, you know, hug each other, raise them up. And it's just like, it's just something that just, it just happened. And I, I couldn't be any happier. And. I mean, right now, it's like if people, if you walk down the street in St. Louis right now, people would have no idea who he is because of how much he's grown. They just still picture this little chubby 10-year-old kid, you know, <laughs> and uh, now he's 32 and, you know, he's a, he's a working man and he's got a fantastic job and, and uh, very, very smart. And I'm, I couldn't be happier for him how he says he just advances as a human being and as a person. Do you have that picture but, in your uh, house? What's that? Do you have that picture in yeah. your house? Oh yeah, yeah. Actually, I actually have a painting. Yeah, there's a painting. Somebody gave me a painting, and there's a painting of me raising him up. Yeah, it's fantastic. Cardinal Hall of Famer Mark McGuire with us on 101 ESPN. More coming up with the former Cardinal slugger with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. That was the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.